Hello and welcome to In the Envelope, an awards podcast. I am your host, Jack Smart, the awards editor at Backstage, your guide to the acting industry and the most trusted name in casting. We're here to talk with some of the contenders of the 2017 Emmy race who share their advice on the craft and business of becoming an award-winning actor. This season of In the Envelope is brought to you by HBO. And then I saw I saw Robert De Niro do it, and I was like, he doesn't do. Oh my god, it's the humming thing. <laughs> I've um, heard this. He always makes fun of me when I start humming. He's like, <laughs> you know, but it's really a good trick. So you know, all y'all, next time you're on a stop I've and repeat. I've never heard this. This feels like a scoop. Hum, it is. It's a. It's I. I can't believe I'm actually revealing that. But yes, yeah, really. Do you do this a good at trick. the Met Gala all the gowns? time? I hum. <laughs> That was three-time Emmy Award-winning actor Claire Danes, who stopped by the studio for our very first episode of our very first season of In the Envelope. I'm here with Jamie. Hello. Jamie's here. Uh, our producer. If I'm host, Jamie is producer. Correct. So, so those the titles, perhaps? Yeah. I'm happy um, what is it that you and I have done here together? Well, we've interviewed some pretty amazing people is yeah. what we've done. Yeah. <laughs> well, you've interviewed them. I've, I've sat back and watched. <laughs> uh-huh. And we, yeah, these are people from current Emmy-eligible TV shows. I can't reveal yet who we've had <laughs> on the show, but we've conducted over a dozen interviews with Emmy contenders, Emmy nominees. And quite a few nuggets of wisdom in there. Indeed. I would say. Plenty. Which I have already started to employ. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, we asked a lot about a lot of audition advice, which you said you, you've already found useful. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a voice actor myself, mm-hmm. and I've got the inside scoop on this, and as we've been working on it <laughs> privately. Yeah. Um, so I've got a bit of a leg up on everyone, unfortunately. Sorry, sorry folks. Um, <laughs> but I have taken a lot from these interviews, actually. Yeah. And getting the advice from the top-tier actors in the yep. industry... Yep is really, really useful, (laughs) to put it mildly. Yeah. Um, And so I think a lot of this advice isn't necessarily obvious and at the same time not overtly complex either. Sure. Um, So I think it's stuff that uh, you can apply quite quickly and adjust your Your philosophy philosophy and your mentality. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And we covered a lot of advice sometimes also advice about awards and how to navigate Mm -hmm. that world because look you never know you might turn in an amazing performance that gets noticed by enough people including emmy voters and then you find yourself on on an an emmy red carpet (laughs) we asked a couple of our interviewees who have handled that or who maybe hopefully will soon be handling that um how to navigate that aspect of it how to promote a show how to campaign for an emmy and what it means to them to win an Emmy. And yes. interestingly, some of them were talking about what they get out of the Emmy process, mm. not necessarily the the glory, right. but some associated benefits as well. So, Some of them are actually multiple Emmy nominees that I, for one, am just dying for them to become Emmy winners. And the exciting thing about this year in particular is that any of them really could become winners at this point. We've talked to, we're going to talk to a couple people from, maybe you've heard of HBO's Westworld or Hulu's The Handmaid's Tale, which are both new dramas that will be up for for Emmys in the year that Game of Thrones, which usually dominates at award shows, is not eligible this year. And 
There's some amazing funny people that we've talked to. We, t- we talked to a couple of supporting actor and actresses in comedies. And it gets very serious at times. And it gets very serious. <laughs> That's right. Um, we also covered some limited series, the miniseries and the, the TV movies categories. Um, we talked to a lot of people about Big Little Lies, which we might <laughs> talk about later. That's a recurring theme. That was definitely a recurring theme. We, we asked a couple of recurring questions, too. Like, we asked a lot of people what, who their favorite actor is, uh, what TV shows they're currently watching, what they consider to be great acting, which I thought we got some really interesting yeah. responses there for sure. Jamie, what shows are you watching? What are your favorite TV shows? Well, we did just mention Big Little Lies. Yes. <laughs> I just finished yes. it. Don't want to give and anything away. And we're not away, just so. saying that because we're sponsored by HBO. We genuinely no. all love Big Little Lies so much. And I did like Westworld, but that's also mm-hmm. HBO. But I feel like I need to, <laughs> to broaden out my sure, sure. variation. While I'm thinking, what yes. shows did you... What shows are on my mind yeah. now? Um, I really enjoyed Feud on mm-hmm. FX, which was Ryan Murphy's amazing period piece. I'm a huge Mad Men fan. Yeah. Um, and Feud for me, sort of filled the hole that Mad Men left behind a little bit with the period details of that. Um, I also really liked another FX show called Legion, uh, which is a superhero drama that was kind of given the prestige treatment by Noah Hawley. Um, I'm also a huge fan of a couple comedies like ABC's Blackish, uh, HBO's Girls, and Veep, obviously. Who doesn't love Veep? Always. There's no such thing as a bad episode of Veep. No. Um, and in terms of like favorite actors, I don't blame people when I ask who's your favorite actor and they can't come up with an answer because how do you pick one? Because it's always Meryl Streep. It's always Meryl (laughs) Streep. Yeah. And I feel like this year it's always Nicole Kidman and there's always just like the actor that's on everyone's minds. Do you have a, do you have like a favorite? No. You can't commit. (laughs) You can't commit to a favorite actor. Oh, Shay, was it Shailene? Is Shailene Woodley? She was yeah, great. On the in show? Lies. Yeah, I I thought she was very impressive. Absolutely. Um, and Tandy Newton on Westworld. Yeah. She, she really stole the robot. show. She's a robot. She totally steals the show. Yeah. I'm dying for a supercut of just her scenes. Yeah. It could be its own movie. There's just way too many, way too many great performances to choose from in terms of talking about them, but it also in terms of just booking talent for this podcast. This is a, yes. This is a big task. But I think we got some some real contenders. Yeah, absolutely. I think we covered most bases. Oh, I want to say who they all are. But we have to reveal them <laughs> week <out>. by week. <laughs> so let's get to it. Let's get to these interviews. Sounds good. Let's do it. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Divorce, starring Sarah Jessica Parker and Thomas Hayden Church. Divorce portrays the experiences of a woman who finds that making a clean break is harder than she thought. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding comedy series and all other categories. Claire Danes, as I'm sure you all know, is a three-time Emmy-winning actor known for My So-Called Life when she was a teenager, the 2010 HBO movie Temple Grandin, and of course, Showtime's political drama Homeland, where she has won two Emmys for playing bipolar CIA operative Carrie Matheson. She uh, walked over from her New York apartment into the studio, and here's our interview with Claire Danes. How are you? I'm okay. Are you in the middle of a uh, bunch of press um, for Homeland? I mean, I've done a, a spattering of press, but no, I wouldn't say it's a bunch. Yeah. I've definitely done more. I mean, the nice thing about having being in your 60s is that 
you don't have to keep introducing yourself. People right. kind of know. You have to gently remind them that you're still <laughs> it's at still it. A thing. Yeah, I mean, you still have the loyal following, but every year your show gets awards attention, and so you got to go through the same. Yeah, which is you know a great privilege. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, no, the 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 effort is is modest, and that's nice. So yeah, because I was going to ask, like, we've talked to a couple of people who are on new shows, and obviously the press for that is huge. Yeah, and you go into your first season of a show. Yeah. Guns blazing, kind right? Of. Exactly. But you've been on the show for six years. You have two yeah. more seasons, yeah. right? Yeah. We just got back just about a week ago uh, from our annual research gathering trip in in oh, DC. Yeah. When we spend we we camp out at a uh, a club in Georgetown uh, and interview from nine a.m. to ten thirty p.m. various characters from yes. the intelligence world and State Department and spies journalists yeah yeah <laughs> so amazing. yeah it is it's amazing it's amazing. it's it's yeah. it the illuminating and sure. disturbing mostly disturbing <laughs> I didn't realize this was an is this an annual tradition yeah so one of our our head writers Henry Bermel who died uh, a number of years ago actually oh. um, but he was a founding father of homeland he oh. his dad was in the CIA mm-hmm. and um, mentored his cousin, who has became a very you know high-ranking CIA guy and has recently retired and um, curates this event um, and calls on his buddies and and yeah, it's a great thrill and uh, as I said, it's very dizzying and kind of sure. unnerving. Well, and it puts you in the context of like real world issues and Absolutely. current events, right? Yeah, and you know everybody has an opinion and an an insight and you know a hope and an agenda yeah. that they're you know they're pushing forth, and and mm-hmm. we happen to have a platform that is powerful. So yeah. Um, well, and the other part, I feel like for you that you've got this Venn diagram, you're, you're doubly responsible because. Carrie Matson is bipolar, and she has yep. a lot of mental health issues. Yep. So do you see that as well as a responsibility and yeah. certainly as a source of research and homework? Yeah, I, I, um, I've I, felt really uh, protective of mm-hmm. that aspect of the character. And, um, you know, and, and so did the writers, uh, so do the writers. Um, and, and we have been doing it for so long now, I think, you know— we can just assume that she's on her medication and we know what that means. Mm. I mean, look, we're taking yeah. a lot of liberties here. I mean, there's no way <laughs> that the healthiest of of people could cope as well as she's sure. coping. I mean, yeah. please. Or be given but, the opportunities she's been yeah, given. Yeah, but we need yeah. to at least indicate what might be, you know, authentic gotcha. um, and and honor, you know, the people who are, are really wrestling with this condition, mm-hmm. and wow. um, and and that's that was that's been fascinating. Um, I'm very moved by the stories that I've heard along the way, and mm. that I've um, tried to call from and uh, and and tie into my telling of Carrie's story. Absolutely, and those stories are from real people you've talked to before. Yeah, Even so I mean, at the, at the very start, before the pilot, I worked with. Um, I had about a month to prepare, and I worked with um, a CIA officer um, uh, who 
was very high ranking and became my like spy big sister. Mm. Um, cool. And she was incredibly generous with her knowledge and time, mm-hmm. and you know, took me to her into her home and into Langley and wow. um, and introduced me to her colleagues and and uh, you know was was surprisingly forthcoming and available. Uh-huh. And then I worked with a woman called Julie Fast, who is bipolar and has written a number of books about it. And I read uh, Kate Jameson and every book I could mm-hmm. on, on the subject. And yeah, I mean, it, it's funny that my my guide's last name is, is Fast. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> Come on. But it is true. I mean, it's called bipolar, but it could also be described as fast and slow. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, um, even in the pilot, she's got her connection to jazz that she listens. She listens absolutely. to that fast jazz, and absolutely, yeah. Almost it's triggering. so funny because you know, it's, I'm talking about her, and I, I feel like she's coming back. And you know, sometimes, and I've just it's been it's been a month or so since you know we wrapped, and just the other day I, I was so grounded in my body again mm. and my identity as Claire, and I was like, oh, she seems so irretrievable, and I was oh, like, no. Interesting. She'll come back, I hope. And I always think of her as like vodka on ice, you know. Whoa. Like I'll just she'll be there. Um, uh, but but yeah, it's so funny. Just it's so there's so much muscle memory, oh, and that's yeah. the real like advantage and gift of working on a show for so long right. is that you are growing with her in a parallel way, you know, in real time. And you know when. Actors talk about backstory a lot, so mm-hmm. you, you know when they're when they're first getting to know a, a character, they try to fill in the blanks of the script sure. and and imagine uh, the life that preceded the moment you know that we find her in 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 the telling of this particular story. But I don't have to do that. I've actually right. lived it. I've acted it out, <laughs> um, and yeah. uh, that's that's an amazing luxury. And of course, your relationship with the writers over six years. You start to shape their writing, oh, and they yeah. start to shape your performance. I mean, that's and... that's the other joy of television sure. is is how collaborative it is, and mm. and how much of a conversation it is between writer and actor. I mean, one, Winnie Holtzman, who wrote My So Called Life, is still mm. a dear, dear friend, and yeah. um, you know, we still have a kind of psychic connection. Oh, very um, cool. Yeah. That was established when I was. 13, you know, Um, so it endures and it's kind of, it's very special. I might even say sacred, but yes. I mean, sure. Yeah, it feels, it's pretty great. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and especially with someone who you, you got into this and into this profession at age 13 when you were that that age. Yeah. So, I mean, what is that like? I think backstage users are always interested in advice for child actors, Mm -hmm. how to navigate the industry. You, you went from relative obscurity. Totally. To, I mean, um, I did have the advantage of growing up in New York City. Sure. So, you know, a metropolis where I was, you know, steeped in culture mm-hmm. and took dance classes as a very little girl right. and local like um, companies, dance companies would be mining for some for young talent and mm-hmm. they, you know, they f- would find me or whomever else and you know, sure. so that was again proximity really was served me yeah. <laughs> in, in that respect. But yeah, I I just knew from the age of five that this is what I wanted to do. Mm. And I mean, my parents were visual artists, so Mm -hmm. they had a lot of, you know, uh, they were incredibly encouraging and respectful of my my drive. Yeah, yeah. Um, But but again, we none of us had any 
fluency in like the language of showbiz right. or anything of LA so, of, yeah. yeah I mean we were real real green um <laughs> yeah. but I you know I started taking acting classes and then I went to a performing arts junior high junior high school a place called professional performing arts school is public mm-hmm. I went in its first year of existence now it's mm. very established but um and I met other kids who had kind of figured it out and yeah. oh, that's helpful um, too. that was really helpful and you know, I learned what an agent was and right. how to get one and what a headshot was and how sure. to make one and all of that. So so that was very instrumental in, in my connecting the dots. But, you know, I did, it did feel a little miraculous, too. Like, okay, so I had headshots made. I sent them out into the ether, and then I got a response. And then, okay, and then I started going on auditions and would rollerblade from audition to audition, no arrive way. like a sweaty mess. <laughs> Um, and like booking jobs and, uh, you know, suddenly a limousine would be like rolling up to collect me on Crosby street. And my dad would be, you know, (laughs) escorting me to some screen test in LA. And we were just like, what is going on? Um, yeah. 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 Even for kids who do get that big break or maybe even they get the lead on a huge show, they don't necessarily then go on to win a golden globe. Right. Well, it was all, it was all, I mean, there's, I'm, I can't, I must have done something very, processing. very, very good in a previous life <laughs> or lives to have earned this one. It's yeah. silly. Well, and so, cause I want to ask like that, I, I'm very interested in actors' relationship with, with awards in general mm-hmm. and having been introduced to it so young. Yeah. They're confusing. That, they are, right? Yeah. But it seems like you also, you feel a lot of gratitude. You certainly feel gratitude for that first. Oh, I do. Yeah. I do. I feel, I mean, profound gratitude, but they're confusing because, you know, it's not why we do this. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, or it shouldn't be. Yeah. No. I mean, I remember when I first went to the Golden Globes, I was... At that point, I didn't really know what the Golden Globes were. Mm, they weren't yeah. as, you know, <laughs> oh, that's true. as famous as they are sure, now. Yeah. And um, But it was they were great because they yeah. were even <laughs> more loose than they are now. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. But, and it, the, I'd never seen, you know, this amalgam of TV and film. Mm, right. And I remember seeing David Hasselhoff talking to Quentin Tarantino <laughs> and thinking like, what a mashup, which actually now makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, oh, but cool. uh, and I but I remember seeing all these people in these, you know, you know, amazing glitzy gowns. Mm. And I just saw all of them at like four in the morning in oh, their yeah. like in Ooh. the mud, oh. y- you know, on their 17th take, crying their eyes out. And I was like. <laughs> This is not reflective of 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 <laughs> of, of, what, of the work, yeah. you know. So I was really, really thrown, mm. um, and I still feel that way. Uh-huh. But but that is the nice thing about it is actually getting to you know be with your peers and sure, yeah. But I like I like that it's not reflective, like of being on a set or of working hard. It's, or... it, you have to disassociate a little bit, like mm. you have to see it as another role that you're playing Uh, mm -hmm. um and and then it's fine that's cool too. and then it's fun but if you if you really imagine that this is like an extension of your actual self you can get into some trouble yeah and maybe (laughs) just become star for attention or star for the limelight or Yeah. yeah i mean it's very nice when it happens and it is not you know really uh defining i mean 
I mean, there are cool. so many yeah. performances that are epic and and nuanced and True. important and beautiful yeah. and are never seen. No. Um, or or if they are, so mm-hmm. they're not recognized for whatever reason. So right. And so what goes into it? You you do a certain amount of press. You mentioned that you do less and less for a long running show. That's right. Yeah. You what do about s- for um your HBO movie for which you won your first oh, Emmy Award? Yeah. Um well that that was a funny experience because you know, I went, I went like total glamour girl. I remember that look. Mm. Um, it was um, very golden, and mm-hmm. you know, I had big hair. Right. Uh, and you mentioned it was like an acting exercise. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah. And I remember Temple was there with me on cool. the red carpet, yeah. and I was a little embarrassed because I, you know, suddenly transformed into this like alien creature, oh. which was not all that connected connected to myself certainly not connected right. to to temple to her, and yeah. she you know is is uh is so so acutely sensitive mm-hmm. um you know uh and is vulnerable to sensory overload Absolutely. in in like normal conditions yeah. and here we are on a red carpet yeah. with with screaming fans and mm-hmm. flash bulbs you know uh exploding and mm-hmm. and uh and I was very protective of her. Yeah. That was my that was my memory of, of that her, of yeah. that event. Yeah, I was like, Ugh, get Temple into a safe place, yeah. <laughs> a cool auditorium. It's an assault. Some of yeah, those award shows. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there are and all so, sorts of tricks. Like hmm. um, I started realizing that if you hum, you go, mm, it it makes you smile, oh. and it kind of like is a white oh noise. <laughs> And then I saw I saw Robert De Niro do it, and I was like, he does it too. Oh my god, it's the humming thing. <laughs> I've um, never heard this. He always makes fun of me when I start humming. He's like, <laughs> you know, but it's really a good trick. So you know, all y'all, next time you're on a stop I've and repeat. I've never heard this. This feels like a scoop. Hum, it is. It's a. It's I. I can't believe I'm actually revealing that. But yes, yeah, really. Do you do this at the Gala with in all your the gowns? time? I hum. <laughs> Try it. If you hum, you will smile. If you're on a carpet, you will smile, smile, and it makes you maybe more grounded in your body. It does, and and it relaxes you. Because it is, it's... It can be stressful. Oh, my gosh. Like, everybody... No, I mean, why would they? But, like, it's, (laughs) uh, it is, it can be quite intense. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering, too, we're we're talking so much about being in your body and this, the physical parts of, of... Carrie Matheson, for example, mm-hmm. does your dance training influence all of your roles? I and definitely your think so. Yeah. yeah. Um, How so? Well, it kind of. I. I mean, uh, I use all of it. <laughs> I mean, I think of it. I mean, some some roles are more physical than others, and I mm-hmm. enj- the more physical they are, the more I enjoy them. Gotcha. Um, cool. So, like for Temple, I actually hired my friend who is a choreographer to um to help me assemble her her physicality and mm. we did a number of exercises i don't usually do that i don't usually have to do that but it was assemble. it was a really yeah. a really good thing and i remember i had an anxiety dream at one point in the process of of uh, of building her and i had done this really good work with my friend tamar and i felt pretty confident in in mm-hmm. her physicality I had defined that for myself, but I had yet to work with my dialect coach. So I had a dream where I was kind of playing her on stage, and I went out with, you know, with with all of that movement, you oh, know, wow. um, in place, and I I couldn't speak, 
And it really Whoa. was like this disconnect. And for I, ha- you know, I did what started with one, and then I built the other, and then I had mm. to integrate the two. Oh wow! But um, it really was that kind of literal and you know binary. Um, How interesting! So it was like like that. You can't yeah. see, but tapping your yeah. head, but you know. Rubbing your belly. Not unlike the the CIA spy camp training plus the bipolar yeah, research. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, I have to ask the question. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've been asked this hundreds of times, but how do you cry? <laughs> <laughs> um, how do I cry? Well, I think, I mean, hmm. You're just a master at it. You really are. <laughs> if it's an art form, you're, um, you're just... I don't know. I mean, how any how any actor cries, I think. I think I just happen to have a really malleable face. I have my dad's, like, rubber face. Oh, cool. Um, it's, it, you know, it goes in many directions at mm. once. You mentioned um, muscle memory, and that's part of it? Yeah, I just think that's how I'm designed. It's sort of yeah. fleshy. <laughs> cool. And, um, just good for screen acting. I guess so. Yeah. Um, plasticine or something. <laughs> so I can't, it's not like... I, I can't take credit for it. It's just uh, it's just how I do. Mm-hmm. It's how I cry. I remember on my so-called life, Winnie wrote a scene where Rayanne was making fun of Angela's cry because oh. my cry, just Claire's cry, therefore Angela's <laughs> cry, was 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 remarkable, You're you right. know, and make funnable. Uh-huh. Um, Since but, the very beginning of your career, then yeah, yeah. yeah. So my cry <laughs> and I like go way back. Yeah, it seems like you're you're proud of it. And I, I mean, it's uh, I think it's just yeah, it's how it's my my anatomy. I like the anatomy answer. Yeah, that's interesting that you have a rubber face. I do. I feel like you you stretch your face into different ways each season. Of I don't mind. do drills. I don't like no. wake up and do my mm, mm, <laughs> to make sure I protect its you elasticity. You don't have like a daily cry or anything. I do not have a daily that's, cry. That's probably good. Yeah, it's probably a good thing. Yeah. Um, it really is amazing how you continue to take Carrie to just new heights, and she's still somehow grounded despite all these crazy twists and turns. Well, that's the amazing like paradox, right? Mm. That you know she's the unreliable narrator who yeah. you know is the only person capable of of saving the day. Right. Um, yeah, it's a good it's conceit. Yeah. I didn't I didn't make it <laughs> up, but I'm playing it out over yes. and over again, and it's fun. Oh, it's good to hear that it's fun. Yeah. Um, I'm going to ask some rapid fire questions. Okay. Answer from the gut or from, okay. from your heart. Okay. Um, who, as of this moment, is your favorite actor? Meryl Streep, always, forever and ever, <laughs> forevermore. Sorry, not imaginative, not original, no, no. but fact. <laughs> um, I feel like that's the one we get most. She and Mark Rylance are always everybody's go-to. Oh, yeah. Actors. Yeah. yeah. Throw him in there, sure. <laughs> Um, oh, those... also Kate Blanchett and Tilda Swinton, uh-huh. and, uh, you know, like greats. a gajillion. Sure. But, um, but yeah, Meryl, oh, Meryl, yes. and always Meryl. And she was your mom. She was my mom. Briefly. Yeah. yeah. Um, what was the last TV show you watched? Um, i really been into Atlanta. Uh-huh. Um, uh, Big Little Lies I just started. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that counts as TV show, but Absolutely. that was rad. Uh, yeah, I guess those are the most recent. And what about, like, the last amazing moment or performance you saw on screen? I just saw Darren Brown perform last night oh, and, uh-huh. uh, and, <laughs> and on stage and then was inspired to re- watch him again on screen oh, on cool. YouTube. Uh-huh. Um, so he's immediately, oh. he's at the fore of my brain. He's just amazing. Not, yeah, that's just 
because you're asking me right the second. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the last amazing performance, I mean, there have been so many. The 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 cruel irony of making television is that you're so mm. busy doing that. You sure. don't have much opportunity to actually watch it. Yeah, yeah. My husband's pretty good on his show. Oh, I was going to say. I was wondering if he's... He's pretty good. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a little Hugh Dancy in there. <laughs> I'm the obsessed path. with Hannibal, so I yeah. get that um, very much. But it's, it's scary to watch him be scary. Oh, yeah. He's a very good actor because I'll have you know, that is not who he is no. in real life. Can <laughs> you imagine and... Carrie and Cal together? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, and going off of that, what is great acting to you? Um, great acting is not announcing that you're acting. Um, mm. Is, is uh, you know... Actually, my friend Tamar, she she choreographed a, a couple of dance pieces that I did. And one of her consistent notes, which I found so valuable, which is, you know, what what was it? It was, I'm impressed by you, but I'm not moved by you, right? Mm-hmm. So the idea is not to da- to impress, to dazzle. It's to um, to elicit feeling. Mm-hmm. And if you kind of feel for somebody, it's a very fine line. Like sure. you don't want to you don't want to dictate that or or impose it on them you want to kind of you have to be really present and really mm-hmm. open and r- really vulnerable and and really take a risk um mm. uh, and that's the only way you can surprise yourself as a performer and the only way you can surprise an audience but oh. that's the hardest thing um you know to to resist the wink wink you know, mm. or or the urge to kind of check and make sure yeah. that you're communicating the thing you want to communicate. Sure. You just have to kind of trust that it will. And going off of that, because we are backstage, we're always interested in the audition advice. Uh-huh. What is your number one piece of audition advice for someone who is an aspiring TV actor walking in the room? Well, I, I actually remember talking to Rachel McAdams about this, um, mm. but... We liked auditioning as kids. I mean, I think it helped that we were kids and uh-huh. we had a day job, you know, like not yeah. all that much was riding on the audition. Gotcha. And, you know, it was a river of auditions and we mostly mm-hmm. did not get callbacks, you know. So hmm. um, uh, it, it was practice. And basically, mm-hmm. we just liked acting. Mm-hmm. So it was a chance to act. Cool. Yeah. So turn it into that. Like, we don't have a studio as actors, you right. know, and turn it into your studio. Mm. It's just a place where you're working your thing out and you have an audience, which is, you know, helpful. Um, and there are some stakes, which is also helpful. Also helpful yeah. But that gives you, you know, an objective that's different from just booking the job. Mm. And that reads as confidence which is is also going to help you. Oh, very cool. Um, Reads as confidence. Yeah. Yeah, and because it it is, it is. Right. you actually don't need them yeah. or the the gig. I mean, and um, so that would be my advice: is turn turn it into an exercise. And you know, if you love it, you get mm. to do it, yeah. and it's not that consequential. I like that idea. It's sort of like as a dancer, you're supposed to practice every day. It's just like and we don't get to do that very often. You know, like there isn't that infrastructure. So turn it into that. Mm. 
And an audition is an opportunity because there are stakes, but you're also maybe going to get feedback, yeah. even if the feedback is right. just a rejection. Right. And it might, you know, sometimes it's stupid feedback and it's false feedback, like you're mm. too short or whatever. That's not very right, helpful. Right. But you might get something that is mm. that is more insightful and, mm. and that will be valuable. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, easier said than done, but, but yeah. And if you really love it, you'll persevere. Yeah. yeah. And if you then you have five minutes where you get to do it. That's excellent advice. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to tell backstage readers or backstage listeners, I should say? Um, I don't know. <laughs> Keep at it. Yeah. It's I believe in the land of make believe. Mm-hmm. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Claire Danes, thank you for taking yeah, the time. Yeah, of course, of course. This episode is brought to you by HBO's original comedy series, Insecure, starring Issa Rae. Insecure explores the black female experience through two best friends. Issa and Molly must deal with their own real-life flaws as they attempt to navigate different worlds and cope with an endless series of uncomfortable everyday experiences. For your Emmy consideration in outstanding comedy series and all other categories. So, Stranger Things broke the internet last summer when it debuted online. This incredible sci-fi horror homage to the 80s from the Duffer Brothers, starring Winona Ryder and Millie Bobby Brown and a bunch of other actors that people were sort of only vaguely familiar with. And it just started dominating our pop culture consciousness. It's one of the most exciting new shows that even though it dropped almost a year ago, is only now eligible for Emmys. It did win the SAG Ensemble Award for Best Drama, And the person who delivered the epic, epic speech at that award ceremony was David Harbour, who plays the police chief, Jim Hopper, on this show. And we spoke to David about his acting advice, his experience, you know, booking this amazing show and the kind of liberties that Netflix allowed him to dig into his craft. He had some really interesting things to say about how to act sci-fi and how it relates to Shakespeare. I mean, this is a very smart Shakespeare actor who now finds himself in a sci-fi show. And his advice on how to navigate both those things was, to say the least, it was strange. It was a stranger thing. There were stranger things. That was so bad. (laughs) (laughs) Let's go now to our interview with David Harbour. I feel like it's my journalistic duty to ask you about what happens in season two, but I know you can't tell me anything. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's my uh, Netflix confidentiality agreement duty to not tell you anything. Otherwise, (laughs) they they give me calls. I do wind up like leaking things occasionally just out of stupidity. I'll just say something and and then I'll get that horrible phone call from Netflix, which is like, David... So I can't I can't do that anymore. Papa Netflix is watching. Yeah. All right. <laughs> well, that's good because we are mostly just going to talk about season one of Stranger Things, which is an okay, amazing great. season of television and it's an amazing show. And you are truly doing great work in this show. Congratulations. Oh, thanks, man. Thank you. Great. And so I'd love to hear, first off, you know, how did you get involved? Well, I, let's see, I was doing a show for NBC. Mm-hmm. Um, and it didn't get picked up. Uh, and I remember going through a couple months of, I mean, this is backstage. So I like to tell actors these stories. Oh, of course. Like yes, I, please. I went through like, I went through about 
two, three months of feeling like I was never going to work again. And like, I had just been going for a while. And then finally, like, it just seemed like nobody was interested. I'd, I'd auditioned for a couple things where I was kind of close, but then it was just like, nobody was interested in me. Um, and then my manager had said at one point that Carmen Cuba was interested in me for a Netflix show. But it just was kind of one of those things that felt like, you know, just something to say to an actor who's not working and oh. who nobody cares about. It's like one of those kind of things like, hang in there, kid. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, sure, yeah, there's and, a Netflix uh, show, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And then, but then they did send me the script and they sent me uh, the pilot, which at that point was a little bit different. Mm. But in general, like all the big pieces were there. Mm-hmm. And certainly this character was there and I read it and I thought like, I mean, you know, and I hear a lot of actors say these things on, so I feel a little bit Uh self-conscious, but it's true that like I read it and I felt like it was the best pilot I'd ever read in terms of like a cinematic experience and in terms of like what my emotions went through and also in terms of this character, like starting to see, you know, this iconic sort of figure from the 80s that were like leading men that I grew up with and sort of starting to see that etched on the page uh i just got really excited and my first thought was like there's just like i don't know why carmen's even thinking there's no way they're gonna cast me as this because i'm not like i'm not really on those lists like in Uh terms of leads of a netflix show there are like lists with a lot more kind of powerful bigger resume kind of better looking guys than me (laughs) um and so so but they you know they were like would you come in and just read one scene with her they're very interested in you and so i went in i read a scene and then like like very soon after that they uh told me they wanted me and uh, it was you know it was kind of on from there and then so me and winona kind of came on first and then uh and then the pilot kind of got revamped and we met with the writers and the kids came on board um but yeah, I, uh, that's kind of how it came about. Well, I love that you mentioned that he's a, one of these iconic men from the 80s, like the, these other projects that, of course, Stranger Things is paying homage to, even as they kind of reinvent mm. those genres. So who to you is Jim Hopper? Like, how would you describe him? In terms of the archetype of like those guys uh, back in the 80s, I mean, I sort of see him a lot like Nick Nolte. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of the roles that Nick used to play, like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, he's kind of a big bear of a guy and he's uncomfortable and he's angry. And I mean, he is just like one of the things I really liked about playing him is that you can highlight because he's such a deeply good guy. Yeah. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, you can really highlight the things that are not good about him and sort yeah. of play with the audience's feelings and sort of play with them to go like, wait a minute, I really don't like this guy because you know he's going to do such extraordinary things that you can really, I think the more you play with that tension with the audience, the more payoff there is. Oh, cool. If he's very palatable and you kind of know that, oh, he doesn't really mean it, that he's mean to kids or whatever, then you don't get as much satisfaction of being like, oh, wait a minute, that guy that guy is, he's a jerk. Like he's a, you know, I mean, there are even little moments that we play up a little bit in it where he's a bit homophobic, where, you know, mm. where she comes in and says that, Will, you know, his, his parent, his kids made fun of him at school. They call him a, call him a fag. And, and I, and the hopper goes like, is he, uh, you know, like there's <laughs> this moment where it's like, 
wow, like, dude, like a kid that's missing, you're going to, like, yeah. stop and take a moment <laughs> and, like, really question whether the kid's gay. Is that, like, you know, <laughs> right. what does that mean? You're not going to look as hard for him? Like, right, well, right. There, there's just so many kind of offshoots of douchebaggery in terms yeah. of him. Like, it's, it's so many offshoots of, like, how horrible a guy is. And even that first meeting with the kids when he goes and meets them, I mean, he's just so angry. And, like, uh, you know, I just let myself sort of go into these realms of like, what would I not want a leading man to do in this situation? (laughs) Like, what would the villain do in this situation? So that when we got to the, when we got to the stuff of him being heroic, and even in fact, his, his heroic turn comes, and I really like this in the scripts, and uh, his turn comes not from anything noble, which I think is very human. Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't do anything out of nobility. He does something because people start lying. And he hates when people lie to him and try to manipulate him. So it becomes a very personal vendetta it's to save this kid. It doesn't, it's not about anything noble or anything about his profession. It's just like, I don't like people lying to me. And like, <laughs> you know, that anger fuels this sort of heroism. And, and that, that to me, again, is very human, very grounded, very real, very, very interesting, of interesting to me in terms of like a psychology of someone, like a true... yeah. Um, pathology as opposed to something that just is, you know, this guy's the hero. Right. Well, and that's so cool that you're, you know, where the, here, the, your character is going to end up by the end of the season. And you know that he is going to have this somewhat heroic arc, especially in his last episode, when we do kind of learn the extent of what happened to his daughter. And so you go yeah. for those more villainous things, but that means that for those of us who are going back and rewatching and rewatching as many Netflix fans do and many Stranger Things fans <laughs> do, I'm sure. Like you see that performance in a new light and that's the advantage of having that arc, right? Yeah, exactly. And it's certainly the advantage of having it all written before you go into shoot. Right. Because I've done television. Because television is episodic, you know, by its nature. And so sometimes you'll go in and they'll just like halfway through the season (laughs) be like, okay, uh, he's going to be like this. Yeah. Like, wait a minute. I didn't make that choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And so the great thing about the duffers is even though little things may change, we're, we're all very committed to knowing the end game mm. right from the beginning. Um, yeah, cool. And even in terms of this season, now that we know we have a bigger palette, like we, I know where Hopper's going to end up, uh-huh. um, like all the way down. So in terms of like laying pipe, like it's very important to me to know where someone goes because it defines... Mm sort of who they are and how they behave and why they get to where they are. Like one of my jobs, I think, as an actor, which I feel like the responsibility is less taken on for this because of the episodic nature of what we do. But I feel like one of the responsibilities of and the actor, not, not, not just the writer, but more the actor, is to show why a human being ends up where they are. Um, I think that's actually one of our jobs is to be like, look, these are the choices that you make. These are, this is who you are. This is what happens to you. So therefore you end up here because I think, Mm. think that's the, the moral compass or the true like artistry of what we do is to interpret the human psyche and to be like, this is, if you do these actions, this is where you will end up. (laughs) Or if you do these actions, this is where you'll end up. Like, and to really have a point of view about uh, human beings in that way and how they operate in society and how they behave and what the results of their actions are is generally, I think a lot in Hollywood left to the job of the writer, but I feel like the actor, when given the chance can take on a lot of that responsibility too, and can come up with some pretty interesting, um, stuff. Yeah. And as you say, certainly in the context of a project where you know where it starts and you know where it ends, like in that way, is Mm. filming a season of Netflix, is it more like filming a movie than filming network television? 
Yeah, it's like a really long movie, yeah, but yeah. a movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah cool. Um, but yeah, it it very much is. Although you know there is there is a television moment where you do have. You know, you are understanding that at the ends of each episode, you do have cliffhangers, and you do have mm-hmm. like like there is momentum within each episode that you're of considering. Yeah, but so it's not just a movie, but it is, but it is much more cinematic, and and really, it's the only way to work now. Like, I really don't want to go back to <laughs> not knowing what my character is going to yeah. become because it's so it's so unsatisfying to play. You yeah. wind up just having to play scenes in isolation and make almost arbitrary choices just yeah. based on like attractiveness. Like, Oh, I'll say this strong or I'll say this funny or like, yeah. you know what I mean? As opposed to like, Oh no, like this is what leads to this, what mm. leads to this. And it becomes, it's, it's much more fulfilling to do yeah. it this way. And in that way, it's also similar to doing a play, correct? Yeah, that's true. That's true. You master you're a character. The entire narrative. Yeah. Right, right. And you've done a ton of, of theater and you're a Tony nominated actor and, I'm wondering where does all of that theater training come from in terms of your screen work, but particularly for Stranger Things? Um, I mean, you know, it's interesting. Like, I I think I've been, I'm now at this point where I'm very grateful for my path, and that mm-hmm. has not always been the case. <laughs> I've, I'm like 42 now, and so there was certainly a time like in my 30s and certainly in my 20s when I was... Uh, you know, felt like I had been, you know, like I, I didn't sort of achieve what I, what other of my colleagues were achieving in sure. terms of notoriety or in terms of being seen or being noticed. And, and I felt, you know, resentment about that or mm-hmm. feeling like I'd been left behind. And, and and part of it was that I'd made this choice to stay in New York. And I mean, the, I made the choice and also the choice made me like, uh-huh. it's not like Hollywood was really clamoring to have me out there it was more like new york theater appreciated me and i appreciated yeah. new york theater and and so but now that i see it i feel like there was such i think because um the the money stakes are so much lower mm-hmm. and i mm-hmm. think because they give you a freedom to play outside your type so much more um i feel like it's such a great way to really develop your artistic voice and to really develop the way you see the world. Mm-hmm. And so that that's been very important. And also like it allows you in terms of like the sci-fi genre stuff um, or even like comic book genre stuff, like a lot of great plays sort of allow you to play with those concepts oh, like cool. Shakespeare and stuff, yeah. Kings and Queens, like really, you know, classical theater really embraces the sci-fi genre. And it's part of the reason why, like you get someone like Patrick Stewart or, or in Star Trek or Ian McKellen in like Lord of the Rings. Like right. the reason why these great Shakespearean actors can really take on the sci-fi genre is because like, if you play Henry V, it's going to be larger than life in the same way that this mm. genre stuff is larger than life. But you have to try to find ways to continue to ground it in like a very human experience. And I feel like, so when you grow up doing a lot of Shakespeare and a lot of plays, mm-hmm. it, um, it, it helps with that stuff a lot. And so that's, that's been a great payoff for me. Yeah. yeah that's amazing. I've never thought of that, that that is the reason why Ian McKellen is a supervillain and X-Men and he's Gandalf in the Lord of the Rings. And he's also Macbeth. Like he, those are yeah. of the same ilk in a way. Yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. It's all these, like, big, larger-than-life, like, even the language is larger, like, everything's just big mm. and 
and he has a way to ground it and make it really believable and really real that mm-hmm. I think comes from all that training. Yeah. Yeah. And the same can be said for Stranger Things, which I think is certainly there's lots of bells and whistles with the sci-fi and the horror and the the many homages to the 80s. But I think in my, it's very grounded and real. That's at least how it pers- it seems to me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things I'm most proud of is the humanness of it. Like, I don't mm. know that it would work if it was just the sci-fi. Like, I really feel like the relationships between the kids and mm. mm-hmm. the relationships between the adults and the teens and everybody, sort of that that's what you're really watching for. Yeah. And the scares and the thrills and all the intrigue and the mystery is great. But if you didn't have that heart that I feel like the Duff was really right into the script, you wouldn't have much of a show. Yeah, totally. Um, I want to ask, too, about your relationship with awards. First of all, congratulations on winning a SAG award for Stranger Things. That was so oh, electrifying thanks. and so much fun. Um, yeah. your, can- your accepted speech was one for the ages, truly. Oh, thanks. Thank uh, you. Um, and so you've been essentially promoting mm, Stranger Things season one since it dropped last year. Um, how, what does it look like in terms of going into the 2017 Emmys, the first time that the show is eligible? It's all sort of uh, weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, uh, you know, I don't really know. Um, it, it's it's kind of a lovely thing. Like, it's a lovely little thing. It's not it's not really my focus. I don't really know how to do it very well. Uh-huh. Um, I like I like talking to people about the work. I like talking to people about the show. Um, so if it gives me an opportunity to do that, um, mm. I also feel like um, I feel like the show. If, if it allows, um, like the themes of the show and what I feel like the show expresses about inclusiveness and about not letting people feel alone, mm. if if awards and things help help the show in that way or right. help people realize that, you know, and the other thing I really like is a lot of us are relatively unknown. And if, you know, if, if those people win a war and we're not the best looking or the most polished people. And I feel like, I feel like if those types of people Mm. win awards, I feel like it's sort of a good thing. There are lots of positives to like the award thing. Um, And also I do feel like it's a platform to kind of say something fun uh, that you feel, which I was able to do. uh, (laughs) Um, Yeah. When I like that you said that you like talking about the show. And so in the quote-unquote campaign of campaigning for an Emmy or campaigning for any award for a show and trying to get that show attention and therefore awards, you like doing the press, right? Yeah, I mean, especially when it's about, like, you know, I, I, um, I'm i not so good. I mean, people aren't that interested, though, which is nice about me. Like, I, you know, like in terms of, like, the, there are some people press-wise who people are very interested in their tabloid lives or, like, in their, you know, right. their dating or whatever. For me, in general, people are just interested in, like, the show. <laughs> so that's been a very good thing. Yeah. Um, and I really do like talk. I'm one of those actors where a lot of people don't. Like, a lot of people who I really respect are very private about it and think that it's mm-hmm. indulgent to talk about it. But, like, <laughs> I love talking process. <laughs> I love, you know, acting. I love talking about acting. I love talking about the complexities of it. I love talking about the complexities of like narrative and like what people Mm. are doing and what we all came together to do. I think it's really fascinating. So yeah, I can, I can talk about it all day. Exactly. I mean, we certainly appreciate it here at backstage. I mean, (laughs) I know you're also, you've used backstage in the past, correct? You, you circled audition notices and yeah. Oh yeah. 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 When I was first in the city, when was this? 1997, 98. Mm -hmm. 
I came down to New York um, and I would get backstage like every week. It was still like a paper back then. Right. And uh, I would get it like every week and yeah, circle auditions and go to like EPAs at the equity building and be non-ec and like wait all day to try to get seen (laughs) and then get sent home. Yep. Um, And I found like a couple jobs. Like I definitely went in for a couple things with the like little non-ec shows that I did when I was in uh, New York. That's so cool. Yeah, and you yeah. you said to me once before that the the your advice to actors is just to keep banging on the door of opportunity. And I think you you even said literally banging on the door, like you bugged the public theater over and over again to <laughs> yeah. get a job, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I I mean I don't I guess everybody's path is unique, and I don't uh-huh. I really don't know if what works for one person works for another. But I do know that if I rounded up all the people that I know who are very successful actors. Mm. Um, We all have kind of one thing in common. And that's the idea that like, we all did crazy. (laughs) Like, (laughs) like that people are like, no, you didn't. Yeah, "Yeah, I did. Like I went to that meeting and I just walked in and I started a monologue and people are like, what? (laughs) You didn't do that. You get arrested. Right. Yeah, I know. No, I actually did. (laughs) So I feel like that's the thing where, you know, it has to be your own version of that. that's creative, (laughs) but I feel like, I feel like at the end of the day, as much as people hate it, they still kind of admire mm. it. That that kind of tenacity and that kind of need and that kind of hunger will take you a long way. It'll take you a Excellent. lot further than being respectful and kind of sitting in your apartment waiting. Yeah. That won't take you anywhere. Waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. Yeah. Um, well, wonderful. That's excellent advice for actors. Um, one last question for you, and it's a big, broad question, but what is great acting to you? Mm. That's a great question. Um, great acting to me. Um, it's funny, like it's changed over the years. I oh, used yeah. to feel like I wanted, um, I wanted to know exactly what people were feeling at the moment, or if people were very emotional. I, I thought that emotion was great acting, or mm-hmm. and really, what I'm starting to realize now is that what I really want to learn from an, an actor is about human behavior mm-hmm. and about consequences and about pathology. So therefore, like I want an actor who like I want an actor who not only uh can feel and express things but like who has a consciousness to what they're setting out to create so that mm-hmm. when I watch it at the end of the day, I can interpret life through it. So what I want when I watch great acting is at the end of the day to feel like I can live my life in a different way. In other words, I've learned something about living my life that that I can take into the world. And it's something that is somewhat conscious and somewhat subconscious. But I want to learn. I think great acting hits me on a gut level of like, oh, I get it. That's what human beings are like. Mm. Oh, I get it. That's That's the way I should live. Yeah. And uh, I think it's very, very hard to do. And I think it's rare that you come across that. But I think that's great acting. And it combines like behavior, emotion, um, uh, lots of different elements mm-hmm. to come up with sort of a palette and kind of a treatise on like how to live. 
That's amazing. I've asked this question so many times, and that was a totally brilliant answer. So thank you. Thanks. <laughs> David Arbor. <laughs> Thanks. And thank you so much for taking the time. Um, I know you've got to get back to... You're literally filming season two. We are, I know. I'm going to go... I'm gonna go fight some monsters right now or maybe not no no spoilers (laughs) you're so busted well go have fun and keep breaking legs congratulations on all the show's success all right thanks man good talking to you have a good one bye-bye that was david harbour of netflix's stranger things isn't he a great interview absolutely he's so talented yeah and humble and humble and just blowing my mind about Shakespeare and sci-fi. Yeah, and I, I loved his honesty about his approach when, in his 20s and 30s. Yeah. And how that changed. That's something that actors in their 20s and 30s can really take that and run with it. Absolutely. Um, thank you also to Claire Danes, who marched over from her New York City apartment to sit with us in the studio. Yeah. Thank you, Claire. Thank you, David. Uh, I guess that brings us to the end of our first episode. And good job to you, Jack. Oh, good job to you, Jamie. (laughs) I didn't do very much. Congratulations. (laughs) That's a lie. That's a lie. Be sure to like, rate, and subscribe for more interviews from the front lines of the 2017 Emmy race. In the Envelope is recorded at Lotus Productions and Hyperbolic Audio in New York City. Thanks, as always, to producer, editor, and all-around podcast whiz, Jamie Muffet, and to the team at Backstage, a.k.a. the most trusted name in casting. Peter Rappaport, Ryan Remstad, Jesse Balashak, Francis Ramos, Rowan Al-Khatib, and especially the magnificent Casey Howe. For more industry news and awards coverage, head over to Backstage.com. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another glimpse in the envelope.